talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Wednesday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Limerick, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. As you listen to this on Wednesday morning, it is Ohio State Pro Day. Nathan, Stephen, and I will be out at Pro Day where CJ Stroud, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Zach Harrison, Paris Johnson, Dewan Jones, Luke Whipler, Ronnie Hickman, a bunch of guys are going to be working out for NFL personnel. Our understanding is it can be live streamed on NFL Network Heights. I was right, like you have like a town and then you have like Heights, right? That's kind of like sometimes like Cleveland, there's Cleveland Heights, Nathan, right? I'm sure out in the Beanfield, there was the Beanfield Town and then Beanfield Heights, right? So this is like NFL Network Heights. It's not the main NFL Network. I don't know. They can pay for a commercial. But you, but we want fans to be able to watch it if they want to watch, watch it, and that's what we think it is, right? Correct, yes. I lived in Indianola Heights. It was like the, the yeah, exclusive right. trailer park. Right. So that's what this is for the NFL Network. So you guys can watch this. It's going to be from like 1130 to 230 or roughly something like that on Wednesday afternoon. Our Thursday pod will be reacting to that. We'll have a bunch of stories as it happens and after it happens at cleveland.com slash OSU. So that's the extent of the Pro Day preview on this podcast. What we are talking about today is what Ryan Day talked about on Tuesday. We met with Ryan Day for about 30 minutes. After practice on Tuesday, it was practice three of spring football. You get 15 spring practices. The spring game is the 15th practice. It was the first day in pads, which is when you start to maybe get an idea. But when he walks off the field after the first day in pads, he's not like, oh, I figured out who the starting blank is. But any information is vital information. When we go through spring football, even though we did not watch on Tuesday, we will. As far as we know, the plan is... For us to be able to watch practice on Saturday, there is are other windows for us available down the road in spring when we should have eyeballs on players, which is a good thing. But for now, we're just using our ears, not our eyes, Nathan. So what we're going to do is have three segments here. Each of us will lead with an idea in each segment and kind of drive us through this podcast. So Nathan, we're going to start with you. What's the thing that you want to, what's your take, what's your opinion, what's your information that we gathered from Ryan Day that you think is important that we'll start with here on Buckeye Talk? So it was a result of a question that you asked, which I thought was a a pertinent one. And I assume a version of it's been asked every time Ryan Day does this, but uh, it becomes more pertinent every time because the the skill and uh, attributes of the quarterbacks that he's choosing from keeps shifting. You you know, he comes in with JT Barrett, then Dwayne Haskins takes over. And there's some contrast between Haskins and Burrow, obviously, in that quarterback competition going on at the time then it shifts to the the Stroud uh, successor to to Justin Fields not so much a competition with Fields but that's obviously a stark contrast really to go from Fields to Stroud in some ways and then now how, how do McCord and Brown follow up Stroud and how do you assess quarterback play when the the talents the collective talent within each of those guys is is sometimes so different the, the full makeup head to toe can be so different and you know his takeaway being that you're still looking for the same kind of critical things within each one in some ways in some ways you know the footwork has to be good you need you need guys who can use their feet the right way to make plays to extend plays even within the passing game he did say also within that he did he wants some kind of a running threat which we'll see that obviously wasn't a huge uh part of the equation for either Stroud or Haskins when they were making those quarterback decisions 
but maybe his thinking has evolved more into how much he wants of that this time. Uh, but then also, at the end of the day, whatever your talents are, the 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 underlying uh, competency that you need from this from these guys, the ability to make the routine plays look routine, and the ways to make a play that doesn't go right turn out to be a success a success still. Um, and some of that is physical, and some of that is mental. Um, and how that is carried through each of these decisions, and how those things will also govern this one. So I guess the, the thing is, as we attempt to, we've talked about this, we want to do this. We want to gather information about quarterback thought in the midst of a quarterback competition. I thought it was a good use of our time on Tuesday to ask Ryan Day a bunch of quarterback questions because we, there's not a lot of other stuff that, that is new, right? Like, hey, we, we just talked to you after practice two. You just had practice three. What else do you know? Not much And yet. we didn't watch. We didn't watch practice and three. And we didn't watch, right. So we couldn't say, hey, it looked like Davis and Ed Bignosin did this, right? So did you learn anything on the multitude of quarterback questions that were asked and the multitude of answers given, Nathan? Did you learn anything new about Ryan Day and his quarterback thought process? Did you confirm anything? Were you surprised by anything? Well, like I said, the, the idea of, of the feet being important, I thought has always been true as it relates to then what you do with your arm, if that makes sense. Like, I think C.J. Stroud was underrated as far as someone who could use his feet to get the most out of his arm. He could use his feet well in the pocket. He could even make plays outside of the pocket as a thrower. What I thought was interesting and did hit our ears in a different way was here's the exact quote i think the game is changing but to your point i don't think that um, what you look for in a quarterback really has you have to be able to to do stuff with your feet you have to be able to create a little bit um you know in and out of the pocket um, you have to at least be a threat in the run game that has to be a part of what you do so we're going to keep playing this game i think all spring it's he keeps kind of dropping different skills different attributes different things he's looking for and now it's a matter of how much weight does each one get that's a pretty it's pretty early in that conversation to be talking about having a quarterback be a threat in the run game but right after that it comes all it all comes back to like decision making as a quarterback leadership as a quarterback all those sort of almost intangible things so how much of how much of the the quarterback being a run threat is that a bigger deal than it has been in the past for him as far as the decision that's ahead of him because i think both of these quarterbacks from our evaluations, from things, people we've talked to, that first part of it, using your feet within the pocket, using your feet outside of the pocket, being able to make throws off of that, I don't know that there's a massive difference. There does seem to be a big difference, though, if you need a quarterback who can get out and run more. Not that McCord can't do it, but that does seem to be something Brown has more of. Steven, what do you think any of what Ryan Day said, specifically that quote or anything else, how did it inform directly your opinion of Devin Brown versus Kyle McCord? I don't know if it's a hard opinion yet because they have their special trait is that different, but everything else seems to be kind of similar, which is why they're at Ohio State in the first place. And the way he answered the question was very much in a way of like, yes, we like that you can do this, which is like the Devin Brown part. Yes, we like that you can use your feet. But when you talk about it's more moving your feet in the pocket, moving your feet outside the pocket, it's less. It's more about that stuff than what you're able to do once you pass the line of scrimmage, which is where C.J. Stroud often – you know, thrived is how he moved outside and inside the pocket before he got past the line of scrimmage, then that would maybe cater you more towards, okay, maybe Kyle McCord's in the lead here because that he 
probably excels in that space just because it's what he's used to doing throughout his high school career. And then in the times we've gotten the chance to see him while, you know, being able to do stuff with your legs, the being a threat in the run game, you at least have to be a threat the way that CJ was in the Georgia game, the way Justin Fields has been basically his entire life. That may lead you more to the, okay, maybe he's leaning towards Devin Brown. So he kind of, in a way, teetered the line a little bit of which way he was leaning to really not show his cards, but so both of them have some skill sets that you need to be Ohio State's quarterback, but which one has the most of those skills that you can check off and be okay if they're not elite elite at this skill because they're pretty good at all these other skills mixed with their decision-making and the leadership and all that intangible stuff. So the two things happening simultaneously here are the quarterback battle between the two guys here, Kyle McCord and Devin Brown, and the transition from C.J. Stroud to whoever that quarterback is. So I think at the moment – we do have fewer breadcrumbs about that battle because so much has not been known. And a lot of questions were asked about the scrimmage that's coming up on Saturday. Then there'll be a student appreciation day, another practice that's live in front of people that we'll see on Saturday. We can talk more about that in a second, that continuing evaluation, which is the most important thing. But the other thing is the transition from CJ Stroud to whoever this is, Nathan. The part of that quote that sticks with me is the threat in the run game, because along the way, I do feel like sometimes in the red zone, short yardage, we did have some things sort of like that CJ Stroud wasn't a threat in the run game, that they they had to sort of adjust some things that you just don't have if you're running a a read play, and it's not really a threat that the quarterback's going to keep it, because threat in the run game, to me, that is not scrambling. That is not moving around in the pocket. That is a threat on called run plays, and that just honestly wasn't really part of what they did the last two years. And it wasn't part of Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins is a player that Ryan Day inherited at Ohio State, and then he beat out Joe Burrow when Joe Burrow was a quarterback who would have been able to be a greater threat in the run game. C.J. Stroud, as we know, as we have covered, is a late recruit that the Ohio State receivers love. Guys that are committed say, hey, you got to look at this guy. And the Jack Miller thing's getting a little sideways, and they take it second quarterback in that class, and it's C.J. Stroud. I do feel like, Nathan, we are maybe learning that really, truly, 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 Ryan Day, producer of NFL quarterbacks now, quarterback guru, a lot of prototypical NFL things, he really still values that movement part of it in a way that in an ideal world, he maybe would just want a quarterback with a little more of that than CJ had. CJ had a lot of other things that maybe Kyle and Devin don't to the same degree. Are we learning that, Nathan? Because when I asked about the evolution of how you view quarterback play, there's a lot of ways you can go with that, right? I used to think this, and I still think the same thing. I used to think this, I've changed a little bit. I used to think this, I've changed a lot. The game has changed, so I have changed. I don't know, Nathan. I I I feel like we've maybe gleaned a little information about, you know what? Like in the end, Ryan Day does want a guy who has running in his game a little more than CJ did in an ideal world. And is that saying, you know, because we always theorized, well, is 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 Day telling him not to run? Is Stroud just choosing not to run? Clearly, from a called run standpoint, that is Day's decision. That is not CJ's decision. CJ took it when it was there against Georgia, had taken it occasionally at the times uh, before that. I, I think you might be right, though, and it, it does start to give us a glimpse of what a, a small tweak to the offense. I would, though, or maybe maybe more than small, I don't know, but but I we should finish the rest of the quote that he said, 
which was after he started talking about all the leg stuff, then he said. But you also have to be able to throw the football in, in, in the pocket on third down in the red zone. Um, you know, be able to push the ball down the field and play action pass. So I think all those things are important on the field. And then the leadership part of it is critical. So it's not, I don't think, a, a dramatic reimagining of the quarterback position by any means. But to say that I, Ryan Day, think I need to sprinkle in the occasional called run to keep a defense honest or 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 encourage the quarterback maybe to keep it more on some of those reads than in the past. Uh, and I want a quarterback, whoever I pick at quarterback needs to be able to do that. I think that's fair to say at this point. But I do think, right, Stephen, the game I always like to play is, well, what could he say? What could he say? Because a lot of things, mm-hmm. again, in the news conferences, sometimes people seize on quotes and seize on words when there's nothing else the person could have said. You mm-hmm. back them in a corner, you force them to lie, whatever, and then you pull a quote out. It's like, this is nothing. But when you leave an open-ended thing, I do think, Stephen, he could have said, hey, Ryan, as you evolve in your evaluation of quarterbacks, I think you could say, you know, in this day and age, as athletic as quarterbacks have to be, I really have learned that processing has to come first. If you can't read it and diagnose it, you're going to be lost. And of course, we want you to be able to move around on top of that. But you have to be a high-level thinker first. I've learned that, and CJ showed us that. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying everybody has to be like CJ, and yes, we want you to be mobile, but read it and then throw accurately. That's where it's at. He, I think you could say that, Stephen. And that's not where he started. Now, he got there, and he's not saying, ah, he didn't say, I don't care about reading defenses. But he started with moving around. Steven, so I just think to me that tells us a little bit because I would imagine that you could have answered that in a different way that would have given us a different impression. And I think an honest view, I think I don't think this is Ryan Day making stuff up. I don't think this is Ryan Day trying to fit because I think Brown and McCord are malleable enough and they have enough of everything. That you could say you you prior, prioritize it any way you want. Because it's not like one guy's a six seven guy you can't move and the other guy's a five nevin five nine jitterbug who can't stand in the pocket. They're kind of both everything. So I don't know, Steven. I, I I'm taking am I taking too much from that if I if I read it that way? No, I don't think either one of you are wrong in your evaluations. I just think there's a lot of different ways you can interpret it. Um, cause you even asked, you followed up with how much of it is building. Cause you use the comparison in the NFL, you draft a guy and you might have him for a decade. So you spend a decade building an offense around that guy. So it's kind of perfect for whatever he is. Well, you don't have that time in college. You get two years max of them being your starting quarterback. If they're very good three, if they take over as a true freshman. Uh, and so you don't really have time to completely build an offense. So how much do you cater, you know, building an offense around that guy versus what you actually need? I think. I'm going to pair a couple of answers. I'm going to pair the answers he gave today, the answers the quarterbacks were giving, were giving when we talked to them two weeks ago, and then some of the stuff Stroud was talking about at the combine. And all of this is going to come around the Georgia game. We know that the Georgia game has, we've said it multiple times, that the Georgia game has really kind of defined the way they talk about certain things in that quarterback room going forward. But when CJ got asked about not running more at the combine, one thing you love about the combine is like the first time you get to talk to these kids where they don't, they're not under the umbrella anymore. So they can talk a little bit more freely. And when you see it on his face and he goes, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. 
but I probably could have ran more, which kind of caters to the day was probably telling him not to run more. I think that day is coming around on the idea of what's necessary to win in college football, which is for a long time it was, no, can you process? Can you not make bad decisions? Can you make the routine plays routine? Arm, 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 all arm, all mind and arm. And the footwork is yes. But seeing, I think having having to let go and let C.J. Stroud be C.J. Stroud, you know, run a little bit in the Georgia game. He did it with Justin Fields where when he got on that stage, he kind of let Justin Fields go. Uh, the 2019 Penn State game, they were really running Justin Fields in those games where it's time for the quarterback to run, and he's let the reins go a little bit. The quarterback has had this – it's kind of been unleashed to be able to play full football out there. And I think Ryan Day is slowly coming off of that leash of stay in the pocket, throw the ball away, don't make mistakes to – now he understands if you're going to win these games, you have to be able to do that. So I have to bake that into my evaluation and my thought process when I'm choosing a quarterback, even if it's still not the number one thing. I do, however, and as I wrote, and having had long discussions with CJ about this, I think CJ in saying that kind of stuff now is all he's talking to the NFL. Yeah. So he has to make sure he's telling NFL teams, I can do this. If they're asking him about that, he, he has to make his point of like, I don't believe that. I don't really think that the solution to everything is CJ Stroud should have run significantly more at Ohio state, but he has to make sure that an NFL team is not saying, man, I don't know if we can take this guy as a statue. He has to, he has to wipe that thought away. And so I thought he attacked that. Go read what I wrote at Cleveland.com. I thought he attacked that at the Combine to make that point. So there's a balance to all of this. You want to bring out the best in the player that you have. But Ryan didn't exactly go down that road. But Nathan, as Stephen mentioned, like the way I asked it, because Ryan brings up a lot. Oh, college, I wish you had these guys for longer, right? Oh, NFL, you get to keep them forever. And that... You you can't just settle in and say we're just, we're gonna we're gonna create a perfect world for this guy's exact set of skills. You have to have sort of an established way of doing business, and I just think that right it's the it's the structure of the sport, college versus the NFL. You have to have we do it this way, and we'll go find guys who can do it enough the way we want to do it. Versus, let's get the best player we can get and build around him. That's a little bit of what I was trying to get Ryan to go down the road on, that balance, because I think there's a part of Ryan Day. I wonder what he thinks is more fun. Sometimes I wonder if he thinks it like, man, wouldn't it be great to have Justin Fields for 10 years and just sit with Justin in meetings and we evolve together and together we create the perfect offense for Justin and you're constantly getting better and better and better. You perfect this thing versus teach it, elevate it, maximize it, start over. Teach it, elevate it, maximize it, start over. Both, I think, actually are kind of fun in their own way. Sometimes, Nathan, I think you can almost feel Ryan Day leaning into, give me year seven of a quarterback, and I'll show you what quarterback play looks like. But I guess, Nathan, in the end, he in college, you have to have a way of doing business. You tweak it, but maybe in the end, the way of doing business at Ohio State, Stephen, as you said, is going to be just a little more Quarterbacks got to move. Our our main way of doing business is quarterbacks got to have that maybe more than we saw the last two years. 
Perhaps. I do think, though, that maybe the counter to that, if you're if you are Ryan Day, is to uh, have a, a type to, to some extent. And you're sort of recruiting guys who are roughly in the same vein. Right. Because I think we talked a couple weeks ago about this, uh, this idea of like having a timeline almost or like a spectrum of, of where the Ohio State quarterbacks fit athletically over time. And I think that Com McCord and Devin Brown are both going to look a whole lot more like C.J. Stroud than they did either one of them than they did Justin Fields. I don't think Devin like because because right now this the the, the McCord Brown comparison Brown's athleticism keeps coming up, but it's not Justin Fields' athleticism. It's really not even like what J.T. Barrett was in in that balance between run and pass. Right? I think this is still more traditional pocket passing. So I think it, it, there's a Yes, I understand what you're saying. You do have to be adaptive, but there's a reason why Ryan Day keeps recruiting like six three ish. Like it, it, there, there's a pattern that's developing here a little bit in terms of the type of quarterback that he wants. They, it's they didn't pick Joe Burrow when it was time to pick Joe Burrow, but they're recruiting him now. Mm. And, and is part of this, Stephen? Do you think this is? Is Kyle McCord over J.J. McCarthy a reflection of this? Is J.J. McCarthy a little more turn your back to the Freestyle. line of scrimmage, hold the ball, Johnny yeah. Manziel, and Kyle McCord's going to be a little more like, okay, it's here. If it's not there, I'll move. But maybe J.J. McCarthy was a little bit too far on the edge. Yes, and I think for Day, I don't know if the way J.J. McCarthy, especially since we've gotten to see it now, I don't know. J.J. McCarthy might drive Ryan Day insane, even when it works. And he emphasizes, and they think he's bringing it up, the making the right decisions, making the routine plays routine. Just stick to the plan because the talent around you is going to elevate it anyway. So you don't need to do all this extra stuff. I think if J.J. McCarthy was in this room, there would be way too many times in practice where it's like, yeah, you had five touchdown passes today, but you also threw five interceptions that you didn't need to throw trying to make some of those same exact plays. I can't deal with both. I just would rather have the guy who's the cruising, smooth sailing. I know what I'm going to get out of them. And every so often, just because of the talent we have at Ohio State, it's going to lead to an explosive play, even if it's boring. And C.J. Stroud even had to work through that a little bit this past year because there were some times where he got a little – you know, loose with some of his throws. And I remember us talking to him last spring about getting used to making the boring plays. That's something that Brian Day is constantly preaching to these guys. And so it's going to be interesting this year, especially if Kyle McCord wins the job, because now it's, you know, it's not just a player, but the style Ryan Day chose versus the style he didn't chose are going to go up against each other and what might be a spot for a playoff again. But yeah, if you look at whether it's 23, whether it's 24 and 25 on down the hills, I just talked to a guy named Aaron Nolan, and that was the first thing I asked him. He's the top 100 quarterback in the 2024 class. I said, on the scale of C.J. Stroud to Justin Fields, who are you? And he said, I'm a lot more than C.J. Stroud, but I can run if needed to, but I want to be a pocket passer and sit back there and pass. Uh, Dylan Rayola used to talk like that. That's He's recruiting C.J. Stroud, Joe Burrow. He's not necessarily recruiting the J.J. McCarthy Patrick Mahomes, pull your hair out, but every so often it's going to lead to something cool that's on Sports Center. JJ McCarthy's going to clip that out. I know. Just play it in his headphones on the way to game. Just like, hey, JJ, yeah. what you listen to? It's like, I'm listening to JJ McCarthy, Patrick Mahomes, JJ McCarthy. <laughs> like, we'll auto tune it. JJ. <laughs> so, I, th- this illustration, and, and I just 
we've talked about it here. I think we've had CJ. We we played the clip from the November interview on here on the CJ Stroud Legacy Pod. But to me, this is really it in a nutshell. And I just want to make sure you guys understand it because, again, I don't know that you're going to get this from McCord or Brown right away, right? The Xavier Johnson touchdown pass against Notre Dame. That is Notre Dame. It's a third and 11 in at the 24-yard line, right? At scoring time, almost in the red zone, not quite in the red zone. And C.J. Stroud said in the film study of that, that Notre Dame typically on third and long and at that position on the field is not going to run a zero blitz, which is where you're going to have no safety help and everybody's one-on-one and you're going to get attacked. They normally don't do that. That's not their style. But he had seen them do it once before against Cincinnati the year before. And CJ in his film study before that game thought, I think they could try this here. And so what CJ told me he typically did last season was he would get video clips and things that he thought could come up in a game. And he would send them to his receivers the week of the game and say, be ready for this. So before the Notre Dame game, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Emeka Abuka, Xavier Johnson, the three slot receivers for Ohio State, he sent them that clip of the zero blitz situation, even though it's not in their DNA normally, not normally what Notre Dame did. He sent them that clip and said, let's be ready for this. And he said, he told those slot receivers, if this happens, set an angle on your route and stick to it. That's your adjustment in the moment. So on third and 11, it late in the third quarter when Ohio State's losing, they get that zero blitz. CJ also knows that Xavier Johnson, who's the slot receiver in that moment, because Jackson Smith and Jigba's hurt and Mecca's got to be outside, is matched up against a freshman corner. He also knows that. And he understands that if a veteran receiver that's prepped for this gets leverage and sticks with it, that freshman corner is not going to be able to react to that. So the second he sees that blitz coming, he knows exactly what he's doing. And he said Xavier Johnson, he called it like a little angled like slow play post route. He said, that's not even what the play call is. That's the adjustment that they had worked out based on CJ's pregame film study. And that's the touchdown to a walk-on, a former walk-on that puts Ohio State ahead late in the third quarter of the first game of the season. And I think a lot, a lot of quarterbacks in the country in that situation when they saw that zero blitz come in that situation, they would have seen it come and they would have turned their back and they would have escaped the pocket. And now it's on. And maybe something spectacular is on. But the idea of, so could CJ have done that? Yeah, I think he could have. He got out of the pocket, made the throw to Mayan Williams on the sideline on the game, the, the go-ahead drive in the fourth quarter, right? The game, the one that iced it when he had to get out of the pocket on that one. He did it. He can It's not what he does best. I do not think there are very many quarterbacks in the country who would have made that read off that prep, off that adjustment to that player in that situation. That's C.J. Stroud. So when you have that, which is rare, you don't ever, you don't see the foot stuff as much because the eyes and the brain figured out the feet didn't have to do anything. I don't think we could have that expectation in year one because I don't think CJ, if that had been the opener the year before, CJ's very first start, I, he wouldn't have done that. He wouldn't have been capable of doing that, I don't think. So I don't think we can expect that from Devin Brown or Kyle McCord. 
against Notre Dame in week four this year. So they're probably going to have to do some more things with their feet, which maybe CJ also could have. But whatever CJ's feet were, they were never as good as his eyes and his brain. So we never got to the feet. So that's the last year discussion. That's the last year discussion. Doug's talking about CJ's brain again. I'm sorry. I can't help it. Well, no, I, I love his brain. I, I, don't, I, don't, I love his brain. I don't think that was a last year discussion. Right. I think that was a good conversation for how we're trying to, you know, talk yeah. about these quarterbacks because I think with, I think with Devin Brown, you're right. He probably would have seen, seen that blitz and go, I'm, I'm gone. I'm going to get some yards and save and just whatever is left, salvage whatever is left of this play. I'm not sure about Kyle McCord. I think. Third-year Kyle McCord, who's got a start under his belt, even if it was Akron, who does play a little bit more like CJ, might do the same thing. Now, I don't know if, like, the whole sending the text to the wide receivers beforehand, I don't know. That might just be CJ. But the idea of how it was approached, I think Kyle might do the same because it's almost two ways of playing quarterback, right? With those type of guys, you can beat a blitz two different ways. You can beat it with your arm or you can beat it with your legs. Justin Fields, Devin Brown, two different levels of athleticism, I know. But the idea of both of those guys are probably just going to try to beat the blitz with their legs. And more than likely, especially for Justin Fields, it's going to work. I mean, he had a 1,000 yards this past year. While I think with defensive linemen, you probably have to beat that with your legs because you're not, you're not expecting that to come your way, which is what we saw from CJ in Georgia game when it was blitzes. Try to be there with your arms. Sometimes they get to you because Georgia's a really good defense, but a lot of times it's just get the ball out quick. But when Jalen Carter and Michael Williams and the rest of that defensive line was winning, that's when you got the highlight, step up in the pocket, step out this way, tell Marvin Je- Marvin Harrison to come back around and I'm going to throw a touchdown pass here. And I think that that's just two different ways of playing quarterback, but I don't think that's a CJ Stroud discussion. That's a, a nod to a pod Doug and I did last summer. We were talking about who was the best, who we would take between CJ Stroud and Justin Fields. That's a mind versus athlete conversation and how you decide to beat something. And there was something else that Ryan Day said today when he was talking about being able to run using your feet, all those things. He alluded to the fact that when he watches quarterbacks in the college football playoff, when he watches quarterbacks in the NFL playoff, they have to be able to use their feet. But I think if you would ask Ryan Day, how do you, how does, how would, what would, what would a playoff quarterback done in that scenario? Would they have turned tail and run or would they have done what CJ did? He would say they did what CJ did, that you, you diagnosed it ahead of time. Like you're, you're thinking next level and then you're executing next level. You're leading your team also to execute next level. So, and what's tricky about it is you're right. I don't think he would have done that the first game of his freshman year or even probably the fourth or sophomore year, I guess, technically redshirt freshman first year as a starter, or even this fourth game as a starter. So what's tough about Ryan Day's job right now is that through the things he sees this spring, he has to diagnose eventually who can do that. This would be, it really is. It's fight or flight response, right? Mm -hmm. In the moment. If you could do, you could set up the electrodes, right? Or whatever, the lasers on somebody's body. Because because the fight, the fight is not fight with your body, but it's fight with your brain. So right. if you if you put, you lined up 10 quarterbacks, right? In a quarterback simulator, they must have these. They have a quarterback they simulator. Do. I'm sure they but do. Do, they, do you, stand, do you stand up? So you stand up, you put on the headset. And you send a blitz. And in that nanosecond, what does the quarterback do? When you see the blitz is coming, is it do your eyes move to where you are now expecting yourself to throw the ball? 
where's my blitz coming from? You throw at the blitz. Where's my hot route? Where's the guy who's going to be open? Where's the prep I've made? In the first nanosecond of blitz recognition, is it your eyes that move? Or is it the twitch of, I got to get out of here, and then we'll figure it out? Because I think there is instinct in that, right? There's training, but there's also instinct. When I see, mm-hmm. okay, here comes a blitz. What do I, what's my first thing that I'm going to do? Look to throw or look to bail and then create a situation to throw, Stephen. And I think some yeah. of that is innate and some of that can be taught. And that's almost a question of what are you looking for as a coach? Are you looking for an mm-hmm. eye react player or are you looking for a body react player? Because these quarterbacks know what they're good at. And, and you're, you fight or fight, you're going to, revert back to what you know your best skill is to it's you know what the problem is how do you solve it i think we're gonna get a chance to watch some scrimmage on saturday that will be nice i think i can't wait to the student appreciation day scrimmage and the only reason why i value that one is last year how things were set up we were right behind the offense and so when they're dropping back for passes it to an extent you felt like you were in there with cj you felt like you were in there with kyle you felt like you were in there with devin brown and so you saw exactly how they reacted in those situations cj calm poise returning starter eyes all that stuff hits jackson smith and jacob before a touchdown pass uh kyle mccord a little less calm but pretty calm but doesn't hit the thing right over them he doesn't replace the blitz Goes deep, tries to go over the top to Marvin Harrison Jr. Devin Brown sees it. I'm gone. I'm out of here. We're not even going to think twice about this. I'm gone. I'm going to. And so I think that practice, that's going to be, I think, a better practice for us to really evaluate the quarterbacks with our own eyes because we get to see it from their point of view. And, oh, shoot, Jihad Carter's coming on a hot blitz this way. Or they're sending both linebackers down the middle and Donovan Jackson didn't pick it up. So now they're coming through faster than I thought they were going to come. Or Dallin Hayden didn't chip the defensive end coming off the edge. And so he's coming a little bit quicker. Do I step up or sidestep to avoid him? And do I make a throw? I think for that practice, just because it's how it's set up, you can do that a little bit better because that's like, I mean, it's like playing Madden at that point. You see it from their point of view. And I, I think that, that practice, I learned a lot about all three of those quarterbacks. And I think the same will be the case. I think that's next Saturday when we get a chance to see that. Yeah, and I don't know how much they're going to show us in terms of like how much they're going to throw at them. They said it would stay pretty vanilla as far as the offensive approach. But I think what's important is we're almost talking about two different things here at some point because when Stroud saw that blitz, because he was prepared, it was, oh, please bring that blitz. I know exactly what I'm going to do here. Like it was almost like the fight was Mm -hmm. like, please start this fight. He was like, it was like one of those things where like, please say, please say the word, please, please throw that punch. I am ready to end you. That's different than if he had not seen that or if it is something Notre Dame had never shown him and it was the first time he'd ever seen it. And now you are really reacting naked in the play with and and having to make a a true snap decision. That's what's going to be more like what these guys are going through probably in the competitive things that Day and Knowles throw at them this spring, but certainly in what they see the first time they're on the field this fall. And I think that's why it's nice that they don't have to play Notre Dame week one this year. They have to play them week four. And and then the other part of this, Nathan, that, that Ryan Day did talk about on Tuesday was the idea of like this mobility factor, that playmaking kind of thing. And Ryan Day just basically says, you don't know until you get in games, which makes it hard to have a competition, which is sure. where, again, I think Ryan Day would be like, could I please get a preseason exhibition game? 
could could we get an NFL like preseason where you can get some live opportunities for these guys? So they'll do a little bit of that, I guess, in the spring game. But also, you don't you don't want to hit your own guys. So yeah. um, some of that, Nathan, that you know we're talking about, sort of that that foot, that playmaking ability. He keeps saying things like, "We're not really going to know that aspect of it until we get in games." He said something today to, to maybe this is a tangent, but how you know, hey especially after Saturday, after he's not saying you schmucks, but us schmucks get a look at them and, and go back and write all of our respective things about them. And then certainly after student appreciation day where it's more public and you have people on Twitter saying what they think, like he doesn't want them reacting too much to that try to avoid it at all completely if they can. But I actually think it can be instructive for him. Like when, when these guys go out on Saturday and we don't know how exactly how competitive it's going to be, but, but what do people say about that? And then how do you respond the next week? Because that's going to be part of this job for you going forward is dealing with criticism, dealing with scrutiny, dealing with people reacting to the job that you've done and having their opinions about it and being able to either ignore it or maybe having the sense to be like, hey, you know what? There, That was correct. I, I didn't do that correctly. Here's how I can get better at it. And what do you do you know, with your second time through? Because that's big about days huge on that, too. It's about, OK, a mistake. A one mistake is not a catastrophe, but like. Two mistakes is kind of a catastrophe because now it starts to become a trend. So um, I'm just very curious, like what, how those guys will, I, I think I, Ryan Day saying the right things there, but I wonder if there's a part of him that uh, similar to like what, what, um, you know, Jim Harbaugh did last year at Michigan, putting both of those guys out there the first two weeks and sort of expose them to like uh, McCarthy and, and McNamara both, like everybody gets a look at them. And then when he makes a decision, it's based on a, a kind of a, a public showing of both of those guys. I do think part of that is why we're getting a chance to see some of these scrimmages because his last quarterback in the beginning did not handle it well. When people finally got to see CJ and it because re- the spring game, I'm not even counting that the first time we really got to see CJ, it didn't look good for the first 30 minutes of the game. And then he's in the locker room at halftime, checking his phone and checking Twitter. And you could, and there were plenty of times throughout that first year where you could tell how he was answering questions, he was paying attention to what Twitter and Instagram was telling him about his play. And eventually he turned that off, obviously, and it helped him in the long run. But I do think how CJ maybe handled some of this, I think that plays a more, that stuff more plays a role in the why we're getting some of this stuff than some of the other, you know, the actual on the football field stuff. It is really interesting. CJ Stroud is just a specific type of quarterback. And it does yeah. feel like there are some things that they're reacting to on and off the field into what can we learn from this? What can we do better for the players, for the offense, for the team? How can we maximize things? How can we minimize the tough parts of this? I think there's some good lessons learned from a guy who might be the number one pick in the draft, right? But, but you know, there's going to be you – you want to bring to the offense all the best things that CJ brought to the offense the last two years while also trying to get better at some of the other areas where you think you can't get better at. So, you know, if this was a normal podcast, this would be done. So I'm, I'm like, well, 40 minutes. That was like, that was 40 solid quarterback minutes in depth. It's part one when it's Buckeye talk. I thought a whole podcast, 40 minutes. Now we'll take a break. First commercial break. When we come back, what does Stephen want to talk about? We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Stephen Means. We heard from Ryan Day. 
He talked about some things, not just quarterback. What do you want to lead us toward here for part two? Yeah, I, I, reason I want to talk about this because all this quarterback stuff is great, but if they suck in the trenches, it's not going to matter. And so I'm going to focus offensive line and defensive line because he got asked about both. Uh, Doug, you had said it a couple of weeks ago, I think, where it was you were pretty comfortable just kind of penciling in Carson Hensman as the starting center. I think the way he talked about Hensman and Vic, especially with Jacob James out, the way he talked about Carson Hensman again today, along with with how he talked about Vic Cutler, I think I'm there with you now that. Carson Hensman is going to be the starting center. He's uh, with Vic Cutler. It was, I think he would tell you that practicing at Ohio State is something that he's still adjusting to, which means he's moving up a level and he has to learn how to compete against high level football players. In my mind, that's how I took it at least. While with Carson Hensman, it's just been, I'm, I'm impressed with the way he's competed early on. It seems like a guy who's on track to be a starter in year two. So that from a filling in the blanks there, that solved that issue. He said it's still still too early to tell on that right tackle spot, which isn't shocking. I think we're all pretty much assuming that that's going to take us in to fall camp there with uh, Tegra Shibola and um, I can't remember. Uh, Zen Mahalski. Thank you, Zen Mahalski. A lot of names. I think the interesting thing is when he started to talk about – he got – Tony Gerben asked a very interesting question about an evaluation of what you think a player might, might be versus what a, play, a player is what he is and you have to take him at what that is. And you can't the, – the, the idea of what a player might be in your evaluation has to wear off. And the entire time Day was answering that question. Well, you just have to evaluate for what it is. You, know, you have to you have to identify and you have to be real. You know you can't can't be fake in this game. The players know it. The coaches know it. So you know sometimes you can you can feel like you know we're riding a guy or you know we're really negative on someone who's a really good player, and you know they can call that out. Or if if you're wrong in your evaluation, you think someone's better than they are, then um, it's going to get you beat down the road. So you just got to do a great job of communicating and identifying what you think it is in the evaluation. It keeps bringing me back to that 2020 class where they took three guys who were flyers, where it's like, all right, maybe some of these guys hit, maybe we see something there. And right now, only one of them is hitting Josh Fryer, who's probably going to be your left tackle, while Grant Tutant and Trey LaRue, I mean, they're in year four, and they can't. it doesn't even look like they're going to be in the two deep again. But on down that list there, we're two years removed from feeling like Ohio State's defensive offensive line depth had two deeps. Literally, you had two starting lineups if you really wanted to go that way. And now this year... It doesn't feel like that. It feels like you're confident in three guys at this point. And the, even at your left tackle spot, the jury's kind of still out on where we write about this guy. And that's a concerning thing because, I mean, you can have all the skilled players in the world, but if you're, if you, if you're wrong about two of the three, five guys you've got starting and they're your tackles, that's not a good thing. So, Stephen, what does this tell you? So I agree with you. It, it, they're just the way they talk about Carson Hintz, but I just, it feels like it's over. Yeah. But the idea, I did think that Tony phrasing matters, phrasing matters. Tony like set up an opportunity for Ryan Day to talk about this in an interesting, interesting way. And that he chose to go to the idea of if you're wrong, if you think mm-hmm. a player is better than he is, it can be really, really damaging. Is that just a philosophical discussion that's interesting about sports? Or is there anything in there that put you on alert for, I don't know, freshman starter Luke Montgomery, for instance, right? That, okay, we you cannot be wrong thinking guys are better than they are, which probably applies to older players. We're not calling anybody out because it's the first day of pads. But you've got to, so I don't know. Like, what what does him talking about it that way tell you about how it might be applied to this team at that position? 
it opened the door for if Luke Montgomery is in the two deep at the end of spring, and then we walk out there for fall camp and he's the starting right tackle, I won't be what the same way I would have been before Ryan Day. Now, I'm still not planning for it to happen, but I wouldn't be like, you know, okay, I could talk myself into it at this point because the whole the whole question was, what if you're wrong about a guy? And that happens. The problem is you might be wrong about a couple of guys at very valuable spots at this point. And how long do you stay with that? Do you keep beating down that door when it's clear you're wrong before you just move on and understand that you just, you just go with the young guy? Even if you know, because if, if you're going to deal with growing pains, you'd rather deal with it from a young guy who's still got three or four years left here than dealing with growing pains for a guy who is in year three or even in year two, and you're not really sure how much longer higher he's going to climb in that situation. Which, I mean, we've, so yeah, some of it is, yeah, it's true. Sometimes you're wrong about guys, and when you're wrong, you can come back to bite you in the butt, sure. But he wasn't talking about things that way when these guys were in the background. It was more just guys are coming along. You know, it was more encouraging when they weren't frontline guys. But now that they're frontline guys and it's like in your face. And as you said, you have to you can't be fake about it. You got to be real about it. This is a more honest evaluation of where that offensive line might be. And it's there's a chance we were wrong in the evaluation process of some of these guys, even the guys we took flyers out on. Do you have any vibe, Nathan, on what you think Ryan Day thinks of the offensive line situation right now? Too early to tell or are we getting do you think we're getting breadcrumbs? You know, I well, I think the the way he talks about Carson Hensman, the way that Justin Fry talked about Carson Hensman, those are breadcrumbs to me. I'm writing something about Hensman for Thursday. It's kind of about his background. If people want to check that on the site, that'll be out before we actually go talk to the offensive lineman on Thursday. But I, I think that the right tackle situation, and, may, and you know, we'll see with, with Josh Fryer. The way he talked about Josh Fryer coming into the spring was sort of, that's where he's going. He's going to left tackle and... Hopefully that were I don't guess he didn't say it quite that wistfully, you know what I'm saying? Hopefully that works. Like I think they have confidence that it'll work, but it's also something that that then has to be borne out over the spring. The the, the tricky thing, as we said before, is they just don't have a ton of options um, in terms of like it, it's a lot of you know I'm trying to I'm trying to balance this against like what we saw in 2019. I can only go back really as far as I've seen, and in 2019 there was. The and this would happening really even more before I got here because by the time I got here, I think Brandon Bowen was pretty much going to win that right go. tackle job. But it, it was it was a a guy who had already won a job, had already been a starter before he got hurt, versus a a younger guy who even though he was a major prospect had to gain a lot of weight, was still really coming up, was only his second year. So that was a, a different kind of battle altogether in a way where now you have, it's like developmental guys or the young guys who haven't done it at all before. And that's where the, it, it, the, where there is a bigger swing and a miss potential for 2024 because uh, you're, you're almost less certain about either of those options. Like, again, looking at that 2019 thing, you got, well, we've either got a guy who's already been a starter and who, who would have kept starting if he hadn't gotten hurt, or the guy who was like the top tackle recruit in the country that year, or like one of the top two or whatever. And maybe he'll be rough, but he'll certainly grow into something, which Nicholas Freire eventually did. That's not really who they're talking about right now. Like Tegra Shibola is a little bit less of that. And the developmental guys that they have are not as far along as Bowen or as proven as Bowen was at that time. So um, I just, it's, it, it is, there is more swing and miss potential with what they're trying to do with this offensive line. And I, that's why this spring is so huge. 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Again, this is this is um, one of the groups. The two groups that you brought up, Stephen, are the two groups that we're going to talk to on Thursday. Mm-hmm. And so we'll have a lot of information for the Friday podcast. And again, in texts at 614-350-3315 and in stories at cleveland.com slash OSU starting on Thursday after we interview this group of guys. Do you think everything's fine on the defensive line? You kind of brought these up in tandem, Stephen. Is this yeah. really that the angst is more about the offensive line and with, you know, JT and Jack and everything defensive line is okay. Or what do you think the vibe is on defensive line? Uh, I don't think it's red alert emergency potentially on the defensive line, because the problem is more about what's going on behind the starters. But I think days kind of talked and the coaches in general have talked about this group of defensive linemen kind of the same way since they got here. And that's, the fact that they all can flash and they all can make plays, but consistently being able to do it, you know, getting a, a they use the term play seven, eight or nine of a drive playing into the fourth quarter. You know, you want to see guys be have the ability to make plays and that's great, but can you consistently put days back to back, consistently put plays back to back. And that's been, I think the common theme, especially for this 21 group is we've seen JT flash. We've seen Jack Sawyer flash. We've seen Mike Hall flash. We've seen Talik Williams flash, but we haven't really seen it consistently yet from any of them. And the, the only reason I really wanted to bring the defensive line up in tandem with this is, I don't know how we're supposed to evaluate the defensive line this spring when we do get to see them, whether it's in these scrimmages or even at the spring game, because I am fully expecting Jack and JT and even Kenyatta Jackson and Amari Abor and Caden Curry and the interior guys to put on a show just because that's what happens in the spring is they put on a show and then you have to tailor, well, they're going against the third stringers. Or, well, it's an offensive line unit that's still trying to build some cohesion. Because we even saw it last year where early on, even Day was talking about it, this defensive line is unblockable. Uh, Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones did not know what to do with JT and Jack, even when they went live. And then all of a sudden, we get into the season, and a lot of that didn't transfer over. Meanwhile, Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones were probably the best tackle tandem in the country. And so it's, it's, I want to, I guess for me, I want to be able to taper our expectations when we do see those moments this spring, because that's cool. But what happens when you get on the field on Saturday in the fall? Does it transfer over? Because we've seen it for two straight years with these guys, but it hasn't transferred over in a consistent way when it's time to actually go into football games. And I think that's what Day was alluding to with a lot of this stuff. And I will say, Nathan, when Ryan Day was asked, besides the quarterbacks, what are the position groups that you're spending the most time thinking about right now? And he said offensive line and secondary. And then he immediately said a nice thing about the secondary. But he didn't say a thing, a nice thing about the offensive line. This is true. Doesn't mean he hasn't thought them. But he brought up Carson Hinsman like in a separate context. In that context, well, you know, I'm thinking about the offensive line. I'm thinking about the secondary. But like I said, the corners are playing great. And But he, like, I don't know, Nathan, we just – tea leaves early, early, early. But but, uh, but that's it. I don't know. But it's an important distinction because at, at, at cornerback right now, you have, uh, you know, Denzel Burke going to be a third-year starter. Davison Igbenosan. Uh, has been a starter in the SEC. Jordan Hancock could have been a starter last year. Jair Brown showed up as a true freshman, and and though he kind of feet to the fire a little bit, was able to start as a freshman and, and held his own. Like was getting praised for how good he looked in the in the moment. Like the, there's just a different level. That's just the corners. Let's not long before you get into the safeties, where you've got Ransom and Proctor has been around for. I mean, there's just so much 
experience that even if those guys weren't, even if you didn't grade those guys out as like A's or high B's even all the time last year, you see the path to them being, you've seen it at other times, them being really good or, or see the path to where that whole group becomes very stable. And I think you're less likely to see a, any one of those five positions right now that could be off enough that it throws the whole thing off. You're starting to just gain more confidence in that whole back shell of the defense. Whereas at offensive line, there's still questions about, well, if this one spot isn't right and there's reason to wonder if it will be, does the whole thing kind of fall apart against the best teams you play? I do think there's a decent mini comparison there where like the interior offensive line for Ohio State is kind of like the safeties right now. It's like Hensman's locking it down and Matthew Jones and Donovan Jackson, they kind of mm-hmm. know what's up there. And listen, Josh Proctor and Lathan Ransom and Jihad Carter coming in and Cam Martinez, they kind of know what they have there. But also, it's just you're not on an island quite as much, right? Mm-hmm. Even though there were some safeties who got put on islands and fell down last year for Ohio State. But the corners and the tackles, right? These are the money positions. And so I do think to think about the corners and the tackles that way. And like you said, Nathan, the corners, okay, you might have questions about corners, but you have Denzel Burke, who's a third-year starter. You have Davis and Igmanosin, who was a, a, played a bunch in the SEC. And you have Jordan Hancock, who's a third-year guy who was a top 50 national recruit. And at tackle, you have none of that. You have three guys who have never yeah. played, two of whom who were much lower recruits, and the guy who's the higher recruits, only a second-year guy, not a third-year guy. Like, the, if you try to think of it that way, Ryan Day brought up offensive line and secondary. That's what I'm thinking about. All right, let's really zoom in. What's he really mean? Corner and tackle. No comparison between the options there right now. Yeah, I think if if he flipped those conversations, if he had walked away today and he'd been like, I love what I'm seeing from the tackles, while with the corners it was a little bit more hesitant to talk, I still might feel better about the corners eventually getting there while I would just feel reprieve about where the tackles are. Because like, oh, it's two guys that you took flyers on and they're playing better than we all expect them to do. You must have found something there and you were right in your evaluation. While with the corners, okay, maybe Denzel and Jordan Hancock are still coming back and getting healthy into the floor of things and Igmanosin's figuring some stuff out there. So we'll give it a little bit more time. So I still wouldn't be on red alert if he had come in there and talked about the tackles the way he talked about the corners instead of the way he ended up talking about it. So it's the combination of... These are already lower-rated guys that we're really not expecting much from. And then not only are you validating our low expectations, but they actually might be worse than what our expectations are. But I, we, don't go, we don't want to go too far. He's, he's not – that's – first day of pads. Yeah, first, yeah, first we, day of pads. We, we, don't, we don't want to go too far. Yeah. But I think in conclusion, Nathan, everybody listening, everybody reading, everybody who cares about Ohio State – you don't have to be a podcast host to know that tackles were an issue for this team. Right. And after the third day of spring practice, tackles remain an issue for this team. They didn't solve well, it in the no. first three practices. No, but that would have been, I think, an unrealistic expectation. Josh Fryer moving to left tackle for the first time, and now he's trying to block yeah. JT Tuimaloao and Jack Sawyer repetitively. Like, I don't think that's going to be a, a perfect situation by the third practice of the spring. Tegra Shibolas and Mahalski, whoever they're trying at right tackle, I don't expect that to be the Ohio State standard by the third practice of the spring. Certainly someone like Vic Cutler coming in and trying to compete at center. Ryan Day even admitted today, like, hey, I think 
I think he's realizing that, that this is a state. It's not Louisiana Monroe anymore. It's a bit of a jump, and he's trying to learn an offense and, and adapt to that. So to, to really be pushing someone like even Carson Hensman in a second year to, to play right now would, would be beyond the expectation. So it's something for it to just – it's guidepost, right? It's like take, take, take the temperature right now. Let's check back on April 16th and see how things look. All right, we'll wrap that up when we come back. The thing I want to talk about, based on what Ryan Day said on Tuesday, we'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Doug Ray Maurice, back with Nathan Baird and Stephen Means. And the thing I want to talk about is that Ryan Day talked about the competition level on defense in the same way that Jim Knowles did in the first week of practice. And it's this idea of upping the ante. I think especially defensively and moving from teaching defense to competing on defense. And this, I thought was a very interesting quote, Nathan. We all work hard and working hard gives us a chance, but um, the difference between that and competing is there's a winner and a loser every time you compete. That idea, Nathan, that's a little bit, I like that saying when it's, what's the saying of like, work hard, like work hard, congratulations, everybody works hard, go tell somebody who cares. It's a better quote than that. That's that wouldn't fit on a bumper sticker, but it's like, everybody's like, Oh, I'm working really hard. And then the idea of like, nobody cares if you're working hard, everybody works hard. Like the proof's in the pudding kind of thing that actually fits proof is in the put, but to bring up competition again, like that, Nathan, and that Ryan day, again, just like Jim Knowles brought up cornerbacks, getting their hands on balls in practice, knocking stuff down. The thing that I came around on is the idea of it's not about the defensive scheme being aggressive. It's about the players being aggressive. And I think last year, Knowles with his scheme at times, you try to instill or maybe even install aggression in your defense. When actually, sometimes if you chill out a little bit and let guys re- read and react and give guys an understanding that you have help, it allows them as individuals to play aggressively and allows them to individually compete and get their hands on balls. Cause I think if I go to try to make this play, my safety is going to have my back and make this tackle rather than, Hey, we blitzed everybody. You're on an Island. Yeah, I guess you could be aggressive, aggressive, but it also might mean a 70 yard touchdown. I think that's a distinction that they're trying to embrace. But as Ryan day stood under a sign at the podium in the team room, Nathan, that says competitive excellence, they're talking about competition a lot in a way that Urban Meyer used to talk about competing and winning and losing all the time. And it's not new, but it feels re-emphasized and it feels like we really are getting a grasp on how they're trying to get this through to the defense. And I like it and I think it might make a difference. Well, yeah. And I think it, specifically as it relates to cornerback play, Last season, we did not see a lot of aggression, especially early in the year when Denzel Burke was going through his struggles, when Cam Brown came back for being hurt and was trying to get first get back on the field. Like those guys were playing sort of with the opposite of an aggressive mindset. Like they seemed off kilter a lot. They were not uh, fundamentally set up to control the play. That's what you're talking about, really. You're talking about kind of imposing your will on the play. I mean, doing it within the rules, obviously. You can't be too handsy, all that stuff. But that's almost the, the best definition of of being aggressive. It's like you're you're setting the tone of the route from, from the snap. And I think that that had to be emphasized more this year because that was, even earlier in this year, early in the year, again, it wasn't 
something that Jim Knowles called. I know there was a play against Notre Dame. But when we were criticizing cornerback play, it was because guys were just sort of flailing about and weren't able to make plays on the ball. Like, didn't they look lost at times? And guys that were in their second, third, more more years. So I think that had to be an emphasis this spring was how to wash that completely out of whatever was going on. I know injuries played a part in it, but just getting guys in a position to where they can have the, the fundamental structure to, as you're saying, I think it's a good terminology, to be more aggressive, even when an aggressive scheme hasn't been called, even when an aggressive call isn't on deck. And the thing, Stephen, that I think I think you look for this kind of thing, when you hear multiple people saying the same thing, you realize, oh, that's what they're talking about in the building. They, mm-hmm. they were all in the meeting where this all came up. So I like when when you hear players saying the same thing to the coach, it says, okay, this is a real thing now. To me, the idea that Knowles came out two weeks ago and basically said, last year, we talked too much on defense. We didn't compete enough on defense. And now, after the third practice, Ryan Day said the same thing, Stephen. It, it's obviously a focal point that is the head coach and the head coach of the defense are on the same page when it comes to this. And now we'll talk to the DBs next Thursday, not this upcoming Thursday. And then I would assume maybe they talk the same way, especially Walton when we get to talk to him and, you know, seeing how the players maybe react to this type of, you know, environment, the, the, com- the competing stuff before you start practice, the tug of war stuff. Um, that stuff I saw Georgia doing when I went to their practice down in, um, uh, at, at the Peach Bowl, so that's not. It's it's interesting to see Ohio State getting back to doing that type of stuff, the stuff they were doing under Urban Meyer. But s- some of that is just being in year two of a system. You're not starting from scratch and trying to install stuff. It, it's I don't I don't I don't know if it's their fault that they did too much teaching. They're bringing in a new defensive coordinator who has a very specific system, and so they have to do a, spend most of their time doing that. That's probably what they did all 15 practices last year. They don't have to do that as much. They're still teaching, but they're teaching like normal technique stuff and not, you know, hey, this is what we're doing on this play call or this is where you should be lining up when we're in this formation. Now it's turn and look for the ball. This is how you jam a man at the line of scrimmage and then go make a play on the ball. Whether the ball gets thrown your way or not, this is what you've been, what you should be doing. And so that's just a benefit of being in year two, also having guys healthy. But I do think there is just something to having these corners compete because it did feel like that sometimes, whether it was because of injuries or just not stepping up to the plate, they weren't being competitive in those situations. And it's not about blame. It's Uh about getting better. So I I agree with you, Stephen. It's like, why did you do that last year? We know exactly why they did it. Jim Doles explained Mm -hmm. why they did it. Okay. So now in year two, because you could say, again, the what could they say game. If Jim Knowles came back and said, hey, listen, I, I want to complicate a defense, but you've got to – once you understand it, you'll be great at it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we didn't quite understand it enough. So I'm teaching it even harder in year two. I'm doubling down, right? We're coming back. We're taking the advanced version of this class now. That was the basics last year. But, man, I'm quizzing these every day, these guys every day on how this defense works. We're going to teach it until these guys know it in their sleep. You could say that. That's not what they're saying. They're saying, we spent so much time on teaching, we didn't spend enough time competing. So, you know, if they were saying, oh, man, we're teaching, you know, the doctorate level of the Jim Knowles defense, we'd be on here being like, oh, it's so awesome. They're teaching the doctorate level. So whatever. I don't know. But I like the adjustment. And you can see, I think, why. So, yeah, doctorate, 
It's like doctorate in podcasting, doctorate in defense, doctor defense. Jim Knowles, doctor D. De- he doesn't want to be doctor defense. He wants to be a BA defense, right? Compete, man. The other thing, a little just briefly, Nathan, because it is connected. Steve Hellwagon, interesting question to end the news conference. Hey, you play three safeties, Ryan Day. Maybe this is better for Jim Knowles. Even Steve said that. Hey, you play three safeties. On third down, could it make more sense to play three corners? And Ryan Day was like, yep. And Steve was like, well, maybe last year you had some injuries and you couldn't do it. Ryan Day was like, yep. Basically, was like, we didn't even have two corners half the time yep. last year. What are you talking about? Play three? Mm-hmm. Plus Cam Martinez is maybe a little bit more of that. And you wind up in a position where on third, pa- third down on passing downs, you have safeties who maybe aren't cover first kind of guys in coverage situations. But, and this, Nathan, is back to what if Burke's good? What if Igbignosen's good? What if Hancock's good? And you have three cover guys you believe right. in. Could you have all three of them on the field? Jaya Brown in there. Could you have all three of them on the field in a nickel look? And Ryan Day made that distinction. Well, when we have three safeties on the field, that's three safeties. But then you can take off that safety and put in a nickel, which is really more of a cover guy in that situation. And he certainly, he was like very definitively open to that idea of like, oh yeah, no, we're definitely talking about that. Well, and I think that, again, that's where you saw not just the injuries show up, but it's where you saw, as we've talked many times, the previous recruiting failings show up at cornerback. Because in a perfect world, I think someone like Cam Brown, as he was in 2020, could have still been the nickel for last year's team. And you could have used him in a specialized role that way because you would have, and I don't mean this as an insult to Cam Brown, but you would have had a better, more complete corner you would have had Clark Phillips. So if it had been Clark Phillips and Denzel Burke starting last year, then you could have swapped someone like Cam Brown in maybe as that nickel. Um, but Jim Knowles, as soon as he got here, said that he kind of envisioned long-term a the as they recruit for that that uh, that nickel safety position. I know we're starting to confuse people probably with the terms here, but it would be more of a cornerback. That, that guy would maybe be more of a glorified cornerback or a big cornerback, or I don't know how you how you would maybe verb it, but uh, but that there would be a lot of cornerback traits in the guys that they want to bring in specifically for that position because, as we've said many times, you've got guys on the field like Court Williams and Josh Proctor. Like Those guys aren't really nickel safeties. Those aren't the guys you're going to look at there, but they're all in the safety room together. As much as you like to say, well, we're all playing all three spots no, you're not. Like you're not putting guys like that at at a position like that. It makes a lot more sense to look for cornerback traits there. So that's something else. As as again, it's only uh, there, there's there was reason to expect like overnight uh, improvement and success for Jim Knowles, and in some ways you saw that. But in other ways, you're you're hitting the reset button, and this thing has to build towards what it will be three or four years down the line. Even with as much talent as there is here, it has to kind of be tweaked and melded a little bit probably to fit in exactly with what he wants to go, whether that's the jack or whether that's the personnel that you're using in the secondary. I might be on alert for Jaya Brown as like a nickel guy if they actually do go down that route. He, he did it a little bit in high school when I went to see him play. I, he might – when you've got four guys like that, to your point – and you know three of them can can do what they can do on the outside, and you're looking for a role for Jair Brown, who's proven that he probably should play this year, I would be on alert for him as potentially a nickel in those third-down situations if you're trying to get more of a corner out there. All right, so as we record this on Tuesday afternoon, we just got the alert from Ohio State about exactly what's going to happen at Pro Day. 14 Buckeyes uh, plan to be working out. Cam Brown, Jerron Cage, Paie Neatote, Zach Harrison, 
Ronnie Hickman, Paris Johnson, Dewan Jones, Tanner McAllister, Bradley Robinson, the long snapper, Mitch Rossi, Jackson Smith and Jigba, CJ Stroud, Tron Vincent, Luke Whippler, then uh, Kellen Garenstein from the, the club football team. That'd be a heck of a story. And a guy from Westerville who went to Brown gets to come out. 118 NFL personnel people are supposed to be there. 10 GM, seven head coaches have RSVP'd. 30 of 32 teams expected to be represented. I, I bet y'all it winds up being 32 of 32. Uh, we'll be on NFL Network Plus. Some stuff will show up on ESPN. Uh, Todd McShay and Lewis Riddick from ESPN will be there. Derek Carr, Steve Smith, and James Palmer. It's Ohio State grad James Palmer, who we hope to have on Buckeye Talk. will be there for the NFL Network. Big Ten Network's going to be around, too. So uh, that's the plan. Oh, and they said and Buckeye Talk will be there. Ooh, look at us. We're going to be there. So we'll have that coverage on the Thursday podcast. We'll also have it Wednesday afternoon and evening at cleveland.com slash OSU. And if you're not a tech subscriber, you just want to know what's up at Pro Day, just sign up now. Send a text to 614-350-3315. You get back a link, you sign up. You can get the text from Pro Day. You can get the text from interviews on Thursday. And then if that's enough for you, stay through Saturday, scrimmage. And then on Sunday, be like, ah, I'm, I'm out. And you just type stop. And you'd never paid a nickel. And you got like three days of like good, live, immediate Ohio State information. Not a bad deal. Free. What's better than free? And if we're free, we're worth it. Buckeye talk. (laughs) That might be a winner. Okay. Thanks to you guys for making this part of your week. More Buckeye talks ahead. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug LaMaurice. And that was Buckeye talk. (laughs) 